0: Welcome to New Hope Fellowship Online. I am Elder Tony Acampa and I'm excited that you are tuning into this message. I pray that it helps you grow in your walk with Christ and encourages you to dive deeper into God's word. For more information on who we are as a church, I'd like to encourage you to visit nhfchurch.org. If you are interested in partnering with us financially so we can continue to share the gospel message with those around us, visit nhfchurch.org and click on give Again, thank you for being here and for listening. I hope you enjoy this message. Well, if you're new, you've come at a good time. It's the onboarding ramp. As I say, on ramps and off ramps into the ministries here at New Hope. There's Three times a year, we're intentional about group signups, but also serving. And so in your weekly, you'll see that there's the groups listed. There's one more coming, a marriage group that is online. It's not listed there because uh, it'll be coming next week in print. But it's a way to get into groups. It's also a way to get into serving. There's a laundry list of serving opportunities on the backside of that insert that just says, here's some areas. And the neat thing is, when you sign up, You're not signing up for life. You're signing up for really a semester at a time, and it doesn't mean next week you start. You're saying, I'm interested. Would you contact me? Can we talk about this a little more? And so it's a perfect opportunity to kind of go through who are we as a church before we dive into kind of our fall sermon series in Hebrews, and we're kind of looking at three things. Uh, God's blessing in life really focuses on three. If you're a Christian, you want to focus on three kind of character traits, integrity, humility, and generosity. Integrity, you're, you're a man and woman of your word. You follow through with what you say. You're trustworthy. Humility, you can take some feedback. You don't take it personally. Every time everyone asks you a question or comes after you, you're humble. You don't think less of yourself. You just think less about yourself. In essence, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, you look to the care of others and their interests. And lastly, where we're leaning into for these four weeks, Generosity. And generosity is not just a financial piece. It is. That's a component of it. But generosity is also with your time, with your talent, with your abilities of using your stuff and your things to a God-honoring way. And so who are we at at New Hope? If we were striving at like 50,000 feet and you wanted to summarize us as a church, I would say this. We're striving to be a God-honoring, people-edifying, kingdom-advancing ministry. That's like a quick snippet of who are we, if you wanted to summarize us in a few words. God-honoring, people-edifying, kingdom-advancing. That's the big picture. But then you got to strategize. You have a vision. Great, that's where we want to be. Now, how do we attack? How do we get after that? And the strategy is more of kind of in a smaller section, so kind of year-to-year planning. How do we do this? By equipping people in our campus to empower you to live out the calling God has placed on your life. So I say we're an equipping ministry. We want to equip this facility, the student center, the brick house, the modular, all of these places are parking lot. We've got a, a, over here, we're getting a little kids area set up in the future because we're growing, but we want to equip the facility so that you are then able to be equipped and empowered to go into the ministry God has called you. Whether that's in the business world, whether that's a truck driver, a bus driver, whether that's a part-time job, whether it's a stay-at-home parent, you are called. And they're not ministerial tax, and they're not ranked that one is more important. No, God has called you, and He's called you to be faithful to where He's called you. And so we want to be a God-honoring, people-edifying, kingdom-advancing ministry. Our strategy is then to equip, as Ephesians 4 says, the facility and the people to live out that calling. So what does that look like on week in and week out? There's your thing called tactics. So you have your tactics, which is your very small groups and very small focus. Your strategy is a little bigger. Your vision is the biggest. And our tactics are week to week is it looks like us making disciples in a healthy church environment. It looks like us being a healthy church. And so I've been in church for 36 years. You could say, Nick, aren't you 36? I would say, yes, I was born into this. My dad's a pastor. I've been in a church plant. I've seen good church and I've seen bad church. I have seen it all. And when it's at its best and healthy, the church is amazing and it's awesome. And health is what we strive for. It's not something that just happens. You have to keep a pulse of things. You have to keep after it. So you don't want to burn people out. You want to have those abilities, which is why we do on-ramps and off-ramps into the ministries into groups to allow people a chance to breathe and allow them to exit for a time and to come back in. It also means that we're mindful of our own health as a church. And so we're constantly just evaluating health before growth. Yes, we're growing. That is awesome. But you can also grow a mile wide and an inch deep. And we don't want to be an inch deep. We want to be a mile wide and a mile deep. And so we're steady, we're consistent, we're faithful. That's what we're about. And so as we look at this week two, this generosity thing that we're doing, this generosity initiative to grow with new hope, I, I entitled it Generously Living in Community because the community that God has placed us in, if you were to jump actually that last verse uh, in First Peter chapter 1, which is near the end, in First Peter 1, chapter 2, verse 11 is where you find where I'm pulling this out of. And in chapter 1 and 2, Peter, who's one of the 12 who walked with Jesus, kind of speaks, how do you live in the world that we live in? And he says something very specific in verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against your flesh. We live in a community, and we live in our community that God has called us to, New Hope, but also to Westminster, Tawny Town, and all the surrounding areas. And what Peter is reminding us is that we are aliens and temporary residents. This isn't our home. The world we live in is fleeting. We are temporary, and at some point, death will take all of us. And so as temporary residents, he's saying, abstain from the fleshly desires and conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Peter's a Jew. He's writing mostly to the Jew, and the Gentiles was most of the world, the pagan world, that, did, that didn't include the Jews. We live in a world full of this. And so Gentile there is just the non-Jew. And he's saying, so that you live in such a way so that there's case where they speak against you as those who do evil, they may observe your good works, glorify God in a day of visitation. So he's saying, when they slander you, you're to live in such a way that they glorify God because of your works. Because when they get to know you, when they lean into you, they say, oh, we have these thoughts, these opinions, but that's not really what, you are, what you're about. He says, submit to every human institution, because the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. We don't like that word submit, verse 13, because it means we have to follow. And we're in America. In America, we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. You don't tread on us. Like, we have this built into us as a culture. And yet there's a beautiful word that God wants is, submit. And it's not a dirty word. In our culture, it's become a dirty word. But he's saying, submit, follow those in authority. Not if it's amoral, not if it's against what God has said. You can rebel, go for it. But if it's not against what God has said, if it's just uncomfortable, if it's just your taxes, right? No one likes ta- I don't like taxes. And for the record, I moved from New York, and your taxes here in Maryland are phenomenal, way better. You may disagree with me, but trust me, you don't know what is taxes, But submit, we follow, because God knows who it is. And we're to live a life, he says later in in other parts, that is just quiet. In verse 15, for it is God's will that you, by doing good, silence the ignorance of the foolish people. As God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So I'm going very backwards, so if they're on my notes back there, sorry, Paige. It's the very last point, which is seeking the welfare of our community is what we're called to do. We are aliens and strangers. We're temporary residents, which means we're to seek the welfare. In the Old Testament, you read Jeremiah who says to those about to go into captivity, not just blend in, but live in bloom. Build your businesses. Build your house. Seek the welfare of the city you find yourself in as temporary residents And strangers. Likewise, in the New Testament, Jesus has said, Our home is not here, it is eternal. And as I've thought about that as I go older in life, it's like this is just temporary. And this is the closest, if you're a Christian, that you will ever get to hell. It won't get worse than this, it will only get better. And so, as temporary residents, as temporary strangers, as foreigners in this, we're to live in a manner that shows Christ. If we're to let our light so shine, Matthew speaks to this, and we'll get there in a moment, but our actions will do three things if we live as Peter calls us to do in community. It will silence our critics, it will point people to God, and it will bring people into the family. We're to seek the welfare of our city, Westminster, Tawnytown, all the surrounding areas. We're to advocate for the good. We're to be known for not what we're against, but what we're for. And Peter says that by doing that, you silence the critics. And for the record, people are going to have opinions. People have opinions about the Bible. They have opinions about church. How do they change those opinions? By their interaction with you. By how you treat them, by how you talk to them. I like how James says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. God gave you two ears so we should listen twice as much as we speak at times so we understand and comprehend. And so we're to let our life so shine. So if we comprehend that, generously living in our community, to advocate to live for that, what does that then look like? So if you jump backwards with me to Matthew, we're going to camp here for a little bit and then jump into Luke. But Matthew 6, first book of the New Testament, there's this whole Beatitudes section of of chapter 5. The Beatitudes are the be, what you're supposed to be as a Christian. And you're to be, and and as Jesus speaks to that, he then goes into, okay, how does that live out in your life? He speaks on how to give in the first part of chapter 6, how to pray. Then he gives the model for prayer. Many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, and he goes through that. Then he says how to fast. You want to quicken your prayers to God. You want to show an extra emphasis. You fast with praying, meaning you withhold food and maybe water for a time. doesn't mean you have to go all day. could be, I'm going to skip breakfast and lunch and then break my fast at dinner to pray for this, whatever the need is. And then God, Jesus speaks about God and possessions in verse 19. He says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In essence, where moth and rust destroy, there's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with acquiring different pieces and parts. Some of us are art collectors. Some of us are car collectors. Some of us have hobbies that take over as we get older. We're card collectors. All these things and hobbies, there's nothing wrong with that. What he's saying is don't collect yourself treasures where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where that becomes your sole focus. Because they're temporary items. They're temporary things. Cars are fickle things. I shared with you last week, I had a BMW, and I learned my lesson. BMWs, they're not bad cars. They're great cars. If you can afford it and maintain it, great. Have it. Enjoy it. For me as a 22-year-old coming out of college with college debt, probably wasn't the wisest car to purchase. And it's that concept that Jesus is speaking to. Don't collect yourselves treasures on earth where moth destroy, where rust destroy. says in verse 20, but collect for yourselves treasures in Heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning, focus on the real treasures and invest in what matters most. And what matters most is humans. You will go anywhere in this world, you'll find humans. And when we die, you will be in heaven with other people. And what Christ is saying here is invest in what matters most. Heaven, eternity. What goes to eternity? The soul. Where's the biggest bang for your buck? As as you look at that, when you invest your finances for retirement, as you look at savings, you want the biggest kind of bang for your buck, we would always say. Or a car, I have this amount of money, what's the best deal I can get? Vice, all of those things. The greatest investment of your finances to incorporate for heaven? Local church. Local church is the best investment of your money. Because what is the local church's mission? To go and make disciples. What did Jesus call us to all do? Make disciples. God's plan A f- is the church. No matter how you feel about the church, there's no plan B. It is plan A. Because the church is the hope of the world. We get it ugly at times. Church can get messy at times. Why? Because we're humans and we're sinners. is why health is important. Discipleship, keeping that focus is important. And Jesus says, look, collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Collect for yourselves treasures people you've been able to influence, lives you've been able to affect because of your investment in the local church. It goes forward than this, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And he's just saying, keep your eyes focused. Keep your eyes focused on what is important. It's not bad, these things but invest in what matters most. Change the concept of I'll give when I reach this point to I'll give now. I'll give out of what I have because God is not calling you to give money or time or what you don't have. He's calling to give what you do have. And he says, if I entrust you with a little bit as we look at it in a moment, I can entrust you with more. And it doesn't say, okay, when you get to this point, you start to do this. It's like, no, no. Where are you at right now? And you can say, well, think I can't give a whole lot of my time. I don't have a whole lot of money. I don't have a whole lot of anything. Well, show up to church. Just keep showing up. You have a little bit, well, need you give a little bit. Jesus made a point of pointing out the widow who gave at her offering, not the rich people who said, look at what we can give. He said, I care about the heart, ultimately, above all things, So what does that look like? Well, in Luke is where I want to camp because I spent all my time mainly here as I worked through it. We want to live in community. We want to show the world by how we live that we are for the community. And we're aliens and strangers. We want to invest in what matters most. And the biggest bang for your buck is the church. So we use our money now with an eye for eternity. And some of you thought, well, I got out of that. Nick spoke on generosity last week. I'm going to get out of this generosity piece. And no, we got two more weeks with me on generosity because it's a character trait. And it is so profound that when it affects you and when you experience it, there was a growth in your faith and there was a neatness of seeing God work and use with you in ministry. In Luke 16, this is one of the unique uh, parables that Jesus speaks about. Luke 16, verse 1 It reads this way. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So there's a parable. He's speaking to his disciples. Jesus is. He would always speak in parables, which are stories. And up to this point, Luke chapters 1 through 15, he's always saying, you're to be kind, you're to be loving, you're to be all of these things. And he says, there was this story. There's this rich man who receives an accusation that his manager is squandering. It's like having a financial advisor that takes your money and invests it so poorly or takes skims off the top, and you don't know where the money is. And all of a sudden, you expect to have this payout, and you're at zero in the bank account. And so there's this accusation that this money manager for this rich man has been squandering. He's been doing poor investments. He hasn't been following up and doing his due diligence. He's just, for whatever reason, has squandered the wealth of the rich man. And so others have seen this and others have told the rich man about his manager. So verse two, he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. It's like HR. Some of you are working the business world, HR. You go in for an HR talk because something's happened or you've done something, you're like, oh no. You go into that HR meeting and you leave it and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna be fired here, but there's a process, right? It doesn't happen usually instantly, there's warnings, there's pieces and parts that go through it. And likewise here, he goes into this meeting, and he's accused, and then he says, because you can no longer be my manager. So in verse 3, then the manager said to himself, what should I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm ashamed to beg. Goes into his major interview, and he has the interview, and he realizes, I'm going to get fired. And as he goes out, he's not fired yet. He still has some time left. And he says, I don't want to work. That's pretty much what he says. I don't want to do construction. I don't want to work with my hands. I'm not strong enough to dig, meaning I just don't really want to. You can put your mind to anything. If you need to make ends meet, you will do it. I don't want to dig, and I'm too proud to beg. Panhandlers can sometimes make good money. I've seen it where they gather together, and they go out, and they come back, and they change clothes. And I'm like, wait a minute. You were panhandling over here, and then you've changed to a full set of suits, and you made a whole... So you can beg, and sometimes people truly are in need. It doesn't mean you don't give the money there. But he's saying, I'm too proud to stand on the street corner and beg for money, and I don't want to work with a shovel and dig. So he thinks of something. Verse 4 comes up with his strategic answer for long-term solution of health. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. He's thinking, how do I let people like me when I'm done? How do I leave this position and then be better off than when I was in this position? And he comes up with a grand solution. So he summoned, verse 5, each one of the master's debtors. How much do you owe my master, he asked the first one. A hundred measures of oil, he said. So again, rich is defined not as money or stock market stuff, In that day, it's oil, it's cattle, it's sheep, it's other options, other things. Take your invoice, he told him, and quickly write down 50. You get a 50% off that day. So here's a man who comes in and says, I owe your master 100 measures of oil. He says, cross it out in 50, I'll sign it. Well, now it's in the ledger. Now it's the rule. He's still in authority to make these decisions. So he does it again. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat, he said, Take your invoice, write 80. And he does this with servants who owe his master money. So it's not even his money, it's his master's money that he's saying, you don't owe this anymore. In fact, we'll write it off, I'll write it down, and you'll be set. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. That's not what you're thinking, right? Wait a minute. He went in shrewdly and made these accusations and cut this down, he was strategic with what he wanted to do, and he, then, the master says, "Job well done," because he acted astutely or shrewdly in some versions. Jesus goes on, "For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money so that when it fails, every, every one, when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings." In essence, he's using his worldly wealth to invest in people. Not possessions. We want to do that. We want to invest in people. And that's what he's done is he's invested in people. One commentator, David Guzik, writes, the dishonest manager was praiseworthy for two reasons. First, he knew he would be called to account for his life, and he took it seriously. He's called in. You and I are going to get called into life one day. When we pass from this earth, we're going to give an account. Every one of us, all the words you've said, all the things you've had, you're going to give an account. And because of that, he took it seriously. His rich benefactor came in and said, you're no longer going to be the manager. And he realizes, I have to get my act together. I need to do something. If I don't want to work digging ditches, if I don't want to beg, then I have to do something. I have to take ownership, and I've got to be shrewd about this. And he does. And the second praise is that he took advantage of the present position to arrange a comfortable future. here's where it ties in with you and I, and we can use our material resources right now for our eternal good, even though we can't bring them with us. It's recognizing what's of value in this earth. When you look at this parable, it's not that he was cheating the rich man, it was that of the shrewdness of using the possession, the position he had for long-term gain. And what is our long-term gain is not to just get heaven and be there by ourselves and say, us four, no more. It's no, it's I went to heaven, And how many others came with me on account of what I used that God had given me to invest? I said last week there was at the church I was at formerly that there was a McKendrick gift. The guy gave $500,000 to the church to invest and wiped away the entire debt load. Well, that positioned the church then to continue on mission, to not have any debt for the church, to then fan in the flame what God is doing in the discipleship ministry. They're giving away money elsewhere to other ministries, Because someone said, I'm going to give an account, changed his will, didn't tell us as leaders, and when he passed, that came into play. Likewise, here, it's using our worldly wealth that we have in the moment to invest in people. Possessions are fine, but when that becomes our sole focus, I have to get to a certain level before I can start to give, before I can... No, it's investing right where you're at, no matter where you find yourself in. Our goal, as I mentioned, is not just heaven, but to not go there alone. The the shrewd manager used his wealth strategically. The only thing left is for those whom you bring with you. When you have your wealth, you invest it, you pour into people. People matter. I always say people trump paper. Paper will always be there. People always won't. That's so why I say health over growth, because it matters what we do. It matters how we steward. It matters if we change our mindset from one of an ownership of all of our things to I'm a manager of what God has given me. How can I use this to invest in the lives of other people? How can I use this money I've come into? How can I use my house to, to invest in people? How can I use my mechanic abilities? How can I use my wisdom with with tutoring, with school, whatever it is, How can I leverage what I have to invest in what matters most? And the biggest bang for your buck, I would say, is your local church ministry. It's using your money, what you have now, for eternity's sake. say, who am I bringing with me? Where can I invest this that long after I've departed this world, others will come to know Christ because I was there? It's the same as we build new hope out as we continue to thrive. We're only 29 years old. I think about... What are our grandkids going to inherit one day? What does new hope look like when we're... they consistently on mission? Is it still there to affect long after I'm gone, long after you're gone? Is it still being a beacon of hope and light to the community around us? And if God can't trust us with what we have now, don't expect more. You look at this here, and he says it, as we continue on in the verse of chapter 16. "'Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much.'" And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? Now, a household slave slave, cannot be the slave of two masters, since either we will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be slaves to both God and money. And again, money itself is not the issue. It's the love of money. What Jesus is trying to cultivate is invest, pour your time into what matters most that has an eternal impact. None of you know who J.R. Gardner is. That was my youth pastor growing up. Why am I in the ministry? Well, I would attribute a lot to my parents raising, but also his influence on my life. It's again, it's those influences. It's those people who spent time with you, who poured into you have a lifelong impact. You have no idea who Ina is or Rich. Yet those folks in Israel were a huge influence in my own life because they invested and poured into me. And they paid for some of my meals and they weren't looking for anything in return. It was an investment in me. And they went back to Germany and England and New Zealand. I don't even see them today. I get to email with them from time to time. It's that investment, which is what we're driving at of hold this whole generosity initiative. We want to give our extra way, not what we have currently. That's where our mindset typically goes. We want to give whatever I have extra, I'll give versus what I have currently. And God is calling us to give from what we have currently, not when we have extra or when we get to some level. What you do with what you have is what God is going to bless. And he's saying, where are you at now? Do you, can I trust you with this? Are you doing well with that? Okay, let me increase this and let's, can you continue to steward this? Okay, let me increase a little more. Let me steward this. Let me a little more and a little more. I look at my own bank account, and I think the math doesn't add up. We give a ton of money away. We invest in other ministries, and there's still more for the needs, not wants, that we have as a family. But God can trust you with a little, and he then can trust you with a lot. There's the whole parable that Jesus gives of the talents I used last week, the 10, the 5, and the 1. The one with the 10 doubled his, the one with 5 doubled his, the one with 1 buried his, and he said, you're unfaithful, get away and let me give this back to the one with 10. Why? Because he was faithful with what God had given him. So where are you at? With your possessions, with your time, with your talent, where can you be ever more generous in looking at that? I say as a church, we want to be known for for several things, but we want to seek the welfare of our community, as I mentioned. But as a church, as I look at it, we we are seeking to be known not for what we're against, but what we're for. That when people hear the name New Hope, we want people to think that's the church that cares, that it's the church that lives like Jesus. Those people are real. They're genuine. That when people interact with you, because they won't always interact with me, and you're connected to people who I will never have the privilege of connecting to, and because you're a part of the body of Christ, that you reflect Christ in that way, that they would say, well, there's something about that church they go to because I interact with this person, and they go there. I interact with this other guy and they also go there and this gal and she goes there and there's something about it. We're wanting people who come to New Hope to sense the peace that only God could bring that the moment they step on the campus and drive into a parking lot, there's just a sense of belonging, a sense of peace that only God can bring. It's super intimidating to drive into a church parking lot. And my prayer every week is that, Lord, would you give people the courage you're calling to New Hope, the courage to get out of bed, to get in their car, to come here, and when they enter in the parking lot, Jesus, would they just sense your calming presence and peace? Because you have no idea what people are walking through, and we want that peace to permeate this facility. We want people who come to New Hope to grow in their faith, yes, and to grow in their maturity. There's two different things there. We want to grow in their faith, your knowledge, but also your spiritual maturity to grow, and to live out your faith. We want those who are far from Christ to be able to engage with the people of New Hope in a meaningful way that says, I see you, that I hear you, that meets them where they're at. And we desire to use our campus both to equip the believer in their faith journey, but also to send you out to live into the mission field that God has called you to live. God has called each of you to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. And sometimes that's in your business world. Sometimes it's a stay-at-home parent. Sometimes that's a bus driver. Sometimes you moved into retirement, and guess what? God has got more things for you in retirement than you could ever think possible. Whatever it is, God has called you into ministry. He has called you not just to be maybe vocational ministry, but to your family, to be a spouse. Part of my greatest ministry to you at New Hope is to be a faithful husband to my wife and to steward and to love my family better than I love you. And will I sacrifice? Sure. But the better husband I am to her, the better father I am to my kids, the better pastor I am to you. And we want to equip people for that. We want you to be equipped and to where you're called, whether it's a bus driver, a professor, a banker, whatever it is, we're calling you to that. And Christ is calling you to that. And that's why Matthew says, seek the treasures that are, don't pour these treasures that were moth and rust destroyed, but seek eternal. Luke 16, be shrewd with the things that you have for eternal impact. Biggest bang for your buck investment-wise, the local church. And First Peter says again, seek the welfare of the community. How we live in this community, our actions will always silence our critics. And we want our actions to point people to God and bring new people into God's family. We want to grow. A byproduct of growth is your, if you're healthy, you will be growing, not just numerically, but spiritually. And we want to grow spiritually. We want to grow numerically because then we're doing things right. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the day. You know, faithfulness isn't glamorous. It's consistently doing the right thing. It's consistently going forward in faith. Which is why we're doing this generosity initiative and it's why I'm, I'm kind of asking. I'm not going to take another offering for the record so I don't feel like, oh, is he going to? No, it's never my point because it's a heart matter. But we see what God is doing already and new hope in the lives of people are seeing growth to seeing groups to seeing ministries taking off and staff being able to be added. And we're just saying, can we fan that in the flame to further invest both in our facility to equip it, but also the people? And so my question to you is, will you begin, if you haven't already, to start praying and asking? If you're, already, if you're not tithing, you start there for the record. You don't just jump in to grow with new hope. You can, but you should start first with tithing and say, where am I at there? And if you're already doing that, then you start to say, okay, how do I give above and beyond that? Like I said, I'm a fan of on-ramps and off-ramps, which means that in October, the Grow with New Hope initiative officially starts, and it ends in May. Point being, it's a start, it's an end, which means the short of I'm tithing, but I'm also going to give above and beyond a little extra into this ministry at New Hope to fan in the flame what God is doing. There's a start point, there's an end point. They don't have to stop at the end of May. I'm just saying there is a stop point. But would you consider fanning into flame? Would you pray and ask God, what does that look like for me? I'm tithing already, Jesus. What does it look like? Is it mean an extra $10? Because that's a long time over from October through May. That's a huge investment. Big deal to me. Maybe it's fifty dollars, some of you are there, maybe it's a hundred, maybe, maybe it's five hundred, maybe it's five thousand. And it begins in October, as I said, there's a start date, there's an end date. Is your pastor jumping in on this? Yes. And I'll share that in two weeks, kind of where Alicia and I have landed with this. We're all in for the record, and we'll share that with you. But it's a praying, God, right now and asking, am I tithing? If not, Lord, would you show me what I need to start? And if you're already tithing, start to pray and ask and say, okay, God, over this course of October through May, what can I go above and beyond with? And sometimes it might also just be simply serving, that there is no more money, and that's okay. It's saying, okay, can I serve? Can I dive in? To invest in the lives of people? Can I make an eternal impact? And the answer is yes. You have no idea from standing in a nursery and holding babies how that will have a long-term impact on other families. It's that ripple that you don't see. That in life, I see teenagers at various points who I've worked with and ministered to, who later in life, I get to see them go into ministry, or I see them fan in the flame what they're doing. Pat Kiernan is one of those, one of my teens who I got to see. In high, he came about eighth grade, ninth grade when I started in youth ministry. And I was through high school. He continued to come to youth group, grew in his faith, went to college at Wheaton, decided to go overseas for a time, got married, and now he's a missionary full-time in Ethiopia at a Bible college. There's a ripple effect. Now, there's other people that played a part, but to get to see glimpses of Pat at different times living out his faith is the investment of people that poured into his life who spent the money for him to go to camp, who, who invested in the youth group as volunteer leaders to pour into Pat. And that's what I'm asking of you, New Hope, is would you fan in the flame what God is doing? Financially, yes, we're going to look for a goal, and we'll share that goal next week with what that looks like. And, and again, you can go to the website, see Grow with New Hope, and see all of it. But my leave point here is start to pray and start to ask, what does that look like for you. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right and compare yourself. It's you. What is God calling and placing in your heart to go above and beyond to invest for eternity's sake? Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we are grateful to be gathered here in your name because it's not about us that we gather. It's not on account of any one person, but it is on account of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings us. And you've called us, Jesus, to be ever more generous with our time, with our talent, with our things that you have gifted us with. Lord, you own them already. You have simply said, I'm entrusting this to your care. What will you do with it? And so Lord, for some of us, we are like, man, I feel guilty, I've not done this. And Lord, it's never too late to start. Would you stir our hearts to begin starting if we haven't started? And if we're already starting, Lord, what does that mean going forward to continue to add, to continue to grow in this generosity character trait that you call us to? And Lord, for each one gathered here, no matter where we find ourselves, would you just stir our hearts to not just agree and say, okay, that was a good sermon, but to do something with what we hear. That as we open your word, that you would stir our hearts and our faith to comprehend what does it mean to live this out day in and day out. To challenge us, Jesus, right where we are at, with the things that we have, with the people you've placed around us, to not compare ourselves to other people, but to view the ministry field right in front of our eyes and to invest in those people right that you've placed in front of us. Lord, as a church, we desire that. To be healthy, you pray, Jesus, that we would have unity before you left. And so we continue to ask for that unity peace, Jesus. We continue to ask for your continued guidance and wisdom, to continue to have soft and pliable hearts at all times, so that we can grow in our faith, not just we can grow numerically bigger as a church. Lord, we don't want just that. We want to grow deep in our faith and to honor you with all of what we are and all of what we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.